We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into Jacked Ramsey's. Look at that. I got my mic working the first time. <laughs> Danny Meringue, Brandon Sprague, joined by Rafael Barlow of Locked on NBA and NBA Big Board. We are here to talk about NBA draft coverage, and I know Brandon and I have spent a ton of time recently over the last couple weeks talking about potential trades, but the Portland Trailblazers are still going to take a look at what's available in the NBA draft. And if you believe what Joe Cronin has said, they're going to establish the value of that number seven overall pick and who could be taken there if they do opt to stay there. Obviously, we've heard about OG Ananobi, we've heard about DeAndre Ayton, and potentially moving for a player like that, even a Jeremy Grant. There's still a lot of room and a lot of time between now and the NBA draft for things to change. It could be smokescreen season, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But also the idea of the Blazers saying, hey, a guy came in and absolutely crushed this workout evaluation, yep. say that this is the move, uh, and this is the guy we brought in because this is a guy who does this for a living. Raphael, thank you for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. It's even more special that I'm a lifelong Blazers fan. So, um, unfortunately, suffering, we're talking suffering about Blazers fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say this: it doesn't crush me like it used to. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in my my twenties, mm-hmm. it you know it was it hit different. Yeah, it, it hit different. Those Western <laughs> Conference Finals ate at your soul, huh? Yeah, you know yeah. that's the that's I haven't I still haven't watched that game. I haven't uh, watched that tape yet. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Uh, if it ever comes on like NBA TV or they start like playing something, I, I I legitimately change it. It's it's the most haunting sports memory I have by by substantial margin. Oh, I, I watch what? it. You watch it? So oh, I watch me, it. Yeah. The, the the two that like kill me are uh, Sean Elliott's shot. Which the heel, just like, the heel off the line. Yeah, he stepped out ago. of bounds, bro. I saw that play today. I'm like, this guy stepped out of bounds. There's no way he didn't. And then it was just a couple. Was it yesterday, two days ago, where it was like the they kept showing like whatever, whatever years ago today, this shot happened. Yeah, and I, I remember exactly where I was at when when that happened. So, well, I'll tell you why I watch it. It's because it's painful as well. Yeah, there is a bit of that. Like, <laughs> I'll take another one, sir. But like, as, as painful as it can be. I kind of want to revel in that pain because at some point they're going to hoist that trophy and it's going to feel great. It's so much sweeter. All that dirty stuff off of me of all those (laughs) tears and the emotions and the devastation that I've seen with this franchise. It's going to feel that much sweeter. All right, Rafael. 
I hope so. I hope Let, so. Let's get through a little bit of the calendar here. Um, we were talking about before the show, you have been very busy over the last year going back and forth between the States and, the, and, uh, and Europe. Um, scouting, I would imagine, quite a few prospects, uh, both yeah. uh, nationally and internationally. Um, as you've kind of gone through that process, now we're, we're ramping up into, for executives, what becomes the busiest part of the season because most general managers, assistant general managers, they aren't typically on the road scouting heavy until springtime comes and then you get the heavy deep dives into the tape as you get eliminated from the playoffs. Um, you were at the, uh, the Combine in Chicago, correct? Yes. When you came out of, uh, out of that Combine, what was your feeling as far as the overall feel of this class? Because something Brandon and I have talked about a ton is that there's so much talk about it only being three or four guys between the three bigs, between uh, Paolo, uh, Jabari, Chet, and then the first guard off the, off the, off the block in, in Jaden Ivey. When you look at this overall class, how do, you, how do you come away from this class as far as comparing it talent-wise and depth-wise to other classes? Oh, man. You know, that's a tough question, especially – as someone that went to the combine, 40 of my top 60 players did not even participate. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I don't know if that many guys think they have guarantees or that many guys think they're going in the first round. And so with, with all that being said, I think that this class is, I think there's a lot of variance in a sense. I think like maybe between 15 through 35 or even 36 where the Blazers are at, you can't possibly get somebody that you may have liked in the mid first round. And, you know, like if, if there's a guy that is projected to go 16 and he ends up falling to 36, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think there's that big of a difference. I think it's really going to be an acquired taste this year. There are some guys that kind of baffles me in a sense that it seems like potential is being more valued than production. Mm-hmm. So you look at a guy like Shaden Sharp, who has as many points, rebounds, assists as all of us on this mm-hmm. podcast combined. Mm-hmm. He may go ahead of Johnny Davis, who was very productive. He may go ahead of um, uh, Murray, who was very productive. Mm-hmm. So he's like this big wild card. I know this is kind of like a long answer. He's like this big wild card that nobody really knows about that people are high on. And it's just kind of hard to like predict the class when you have a guy that could potentially go top five that nobody really knows about unless you're at the EYBL at the, at the peach jam, you mm-hmm. haven't really seen them outside of highlights. Um, I think it is, uh, you know, I think the top four are solid. And, but even if you look at like, you know, past draft class, you go through your top five two, maybe one of those guys is not going to be very good. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think it's a, a deep class, but I, I think it's a class that will, we're going to see guys that were like that are going to outplay their draft position. I think it's going to be one of those classes where you're going to see multiple guys that ended up playing way better than where they were drafted, which is kind of good for Portland at 36, because I think there could be a guy that is going to give you mid first round value at, at that pick. Yeah. I, I pick your brain on this one a little bit. It, it kind of a, a non draft guy here. It kind of reminds me just from reading all of these, these draft previews and reading about the prospects it kind of has a feel uh, of the CJ Giannis draft where some of the talent goes a little bit later than you think they end up developing and becoming great players. Is that, is that basically what you're saying? And then I've also kind of just, I've hit on this on the podcast 
watching these playoffs, you look at Dallas, you look at this Boston team. There's a lot of late first, second round guys, even on some undrafted guys that have emerged. And I'm curious with the league feeling like it's in a position to expand because that talent is so deep now and you have the the numbers to do so. Do you feel like in a way, unless you're getting OG or DeAndre, that that number seven pick might be a little undervalued in terms of like you could maybe hit on a pretty good player. It's kind of what I feel like you're, you're getting at here is the depth of this draft. You could end up with a, a pretty good prospect who, look, he's going to be on the cheap. You're going to extend Dame. You're going to sign some of these dudes. Um, unless we're getting one of those big names, like how do you place value on keeping the seventh pick? I'd keep it, to be honest with you. I'd keep it. Um, of course, you know, there's a part of me that would love to see like some – big trade but to me unless it's bradley bill mm-hmm. am i giving up the seventh pick for julius randall am i giving up the seventh pick for you know jeremy grant and i i get it there is an unknown to the seventh pick and the value you place on picks is you know it varies from person to person um but me personally i would keep it the last thing you want is another norm Powell situation <laughs> that trade mm-hmm. I, I i didn't like that trade and i thought you know you gave up a younger player to try to win now and you know I, if i'm not mistaken powell's contract was like almost 45 million dollars more than what gary trent signed for mm-hmm. and so i don't necessarily want to give up a young player for someone that is supposed to help win now and it doesn't really move the needle no, I mean that that tracks, and I think that's there's been some people who I think have equated that deal um, the same way in the sense of uh, same thing. Robert Covington is fear of getting spooked. And I think the difference is now. I think you have a GM who we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, 
and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, JJ breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I'm going to trash him anyways. Uh, (laughs) You think now you have a GM now who doesn't want to play three, four guards at a time. And I think that there's certainly a vision that changes the calculus when they want to go get when their priorities and guys like OG Ananobi or DeAndre Ayton kind of splitting that difference where you get the the youth the length the size the athleticism um, while not going over the top at least financially and and putting themselves in a position where I don't know if potential free agent has you up against the wall and gets uh, an additional one or two years and another 40 plus million dollars out of you like Norman Powell did um but when you look at this Blazers team, the first the first guy that they brought in uh, for workouts is Dyson Daniels. And I, I found it interesting, if, if nothing else, because, number one, Dyson Daniels has been one of the biggest risers we've seen so far, um, which it's been kind of interesting to see because as a non-NCA yeah. guy who, you know, G League Ignite, um, he's out there or hasn't been out on the floor. It's not like it's a – to call back to another trailblazer, it's not like it's Zach Collins rising in, this, in the NCA tournament where you had a <laughs> – you had a recent um, stop it. Just stop it. Rise in the NCAA I tournament. I have a story on that that I'll, I'll share. Oh, I can't. <laughs> oh, wait. please go. Please go. <laughs> so, I um, I was in Miami watching some guys do some pre-jack stuff last year, and Bam Adebayo walks into the gym. So I'm a Blazers fan, and that's why I I really enjoy doing this podcast because I actually I, I'm trying to separate the Blazers fan from the quote-unquote draft analyst sure so, yeah so i see bam and a very cool guy he's like working out getting ready for the, the olympics and i said hey man i'm a blazers fan he kind of smiled i said what in the world in your opinion made the blazers draft zach collins over you he said you fit every need that portland you know needs from you know athleticism from defense another passer and he said that um he just felt like they thought Zach Collins was the sexier pick because he could shoot. And he said that Kentucky, that he said, you know, when you go to Kentucky, you're supposed to sacrifice, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, you, the you're with so many guys. Yeah. So he said that he felt not only the Blazers, but other teams didn't do enough digging on his high school tape because he said, if you watch this high school tape, you would see that some of the stuff that he's able to do in Miami as far as the passing, the ball handling, the IQ mm-hmm. was there. But he said he thought teams just saw his role at Kentucky and put him in that box as a, I guess, a rim runner, a guy that's just going to score at the dunker spot and a roller. And so he said that not only Portland, but he said that, you know, other teams just didn't necessarily do do their homework. And so I was just like, man. I really think that if the Blazers had Bam, I mean, we're we're in a totally different situation right now. Oh, they they don't yep. bomb that 2017 draft. They don't tear down what they had. No, they keep it. You run yeah. it right, Dame, CJ, Bam, whatever else, whatever you else put you around you it. Yeah, it. yeah, that's what you figure it out. You know that that kind of pisses me off. I'm glad you shared that story, <laughs> but like, 
I can make it. I can make it worse. I've I've got something something on the, the that added in that I've never talked about publicly. That he traded two picks to get him. And no, 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 he no. Called no. him Kevin McHale Jr. Well, that he yeah, thought no, he was he... legitimately going to be a good shooter. <laughs> like, I mean, where do you start with that? No. So on top of that, um, there was a particular coach that was involved in this process with Bam, who talked to Portland's management team at the time, and said that exact same thing. That the Blazers were told that exact same thing by a coach. Associated well, with watch Bam. his high school. Look at his high school. Not just that, but a coach who was very familiar with his game. I'll put it that way. Um, okay. Told Blazers management uh, he was not utilized at Kentucky, and this is somebody who would know that he did sacrifice for the collective. That he was significantly better and tried to drive the point home that Bam was the guy, and they still took Zach. Why are we talking about this, bro? Let's let some, let's go ahead, let's get dive into Dyson. But this, I, I, honestly, I think this stuff is interesting because of this, the exact same thing we're going to talk about with Dyson right now is yeah. like the idea of rising and falling without anything changing on the floor. Now with Dyson, you do have a unique example because he did grow. He he was you know, I think it was the last time he was measured officially. I think he was like six four and a half, six five. Now he's listed at six seven or six seven and a half in shoes, which that's a pretty substantial when you go from like a Zach Levine closer to a Sean Livingston. Like that that changes the calculus a little bit, right? Yeah. So he grows, he shows some things in the Rising Stars game, some things during the G League Ignite season. But there's certainly some, I don't want to say red flags, there's certainly questions when your shooting ability is lagging that far behind, but you show that you can create, you can defend, you can create off the bounce, and you have the ability to generate rim pressure at that size in the modern NBA. When you look at a guy like Dyson Daniels, I think if we go back 10 years, I think you'd kind of square peg round hole him, oh, he can't shoot. But he does mm-hmm. so many other things well. Why would the Blazers? Why would it be a good choice for the Blazers to take a guy like Dyson Daniels, who's essentially a point guard in a, in a, a modern threes kind of body now? Uh, I wouldn't like to pick, to be honest with you. Okay, perfect. Mm. I, I, I I like a little pushback. Yeah. So, to me, his comparison is Lonzo Ball okay. without the jump shot. Now, I think Lonzo's a great connective tissue. Mm-hmm. I think Lonzo's a guy that when he's healthy, he can't contribute to winning. But I'm swinging for the fences here. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm swinging for the fences. And I, I think Daniels is going to be good. I was at his pro day, and um, he did a solo workout, which was something that not a lot of guys did. And he shot the ball well. So I, I understand the optimism. But like you said, I think it is kind of strange to see a guy's stock just kind of skyrocket without – performances Mm -hmm. and that always makes me wonder like how much influence does social media and how much influence does media have like if i had a huge platform or really big platform and i just say hey dyson daniel's stock is going up everybody's gonna follow it and one of my examples is and i talked about it shade and sharp like nobody has seen the guy Mm -hmm. but somehow people are convinced like he said one workout, which was at yeah. the combine. That that's that's it. And I was I was there at his pro day. And on one hand, you could see, okay, this guy's athletic. He can jump out the gym. He yeah. has the body, and he looked good in a one on none workout. But then you also have to say, well, dang, who doesn't look yeah. good? On, if you look bad in those workouts, <laughs> then you're in trouble. Yeah, and so 
even like the pace of the workout wasn't great to me. It wasn't bad. Maybe that's just kind of like the the pace that he plays at. Mm-hmm. But it was, in, in my opinion, as someone that was there, I felt like this, it's not even his agent. It's his advisor. I just say advisor. Mm-hmm. Had another guy that was working out with them. So what I got out of it was, did he need someone to split reps with him or was the advisor saying, Hey, I got this guy that we know is not going to get any NBA workouts, but if I throw him in here with Shaden, everybody's going to get a chance to watch him. And the way they had the workouts like scheduled, it was like three minutes sharp, three minutes, the next guy. So you couldn't just like watch Shaden first and then go grab some popcorn (laughs) when the other guy was working (laughs) out. So on, on their end, it was, I mean, I get it. It, it made it a lot of sense. It was a business decision. It was a business decision. But for the life of me, I don't understand how, like, Shaden Sharp is um, possibly going to get drafted ahead of Johnny Davis, who is productive. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, and it's not a knock on Dyson Daniels at all, but it's like, how was he skyrocketing, his stock skyrocketing based up before he even shot at the combine? But I did get a chance to talk to him briefly. I will say this much. He is a guy that if you sit down with him in an interview, he's going to blow you away with his maturity. Um, he's well-spoken. And I had mentioned it on the Locked on Blazers podcast. I could see how a team like Portland, when you're the, the, the only thing going in town, this is a guy you totally feel comfortable with representing your team. He's someone that, you know, you feel really comfortable with him. So on that hand, I can see it, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm starting to see stuff where maybe he can go top five and all of that. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of interesting to me. And, and um, I mean, I, I get the versatility, I guess for me personally, I like guys that apply a lot of pressure at the rim. I think that kind of opens things up. Mm-hmm. And for my primary ball handler or a guy that's going to have a, the ball in his hands a lot, I don't see Daniels as a guy that's going to attack the rim and create a lot of assists because he's breaking down the defense. I see him more as like a ball mover, well, which is something Portland has second, needed. The secondary connector. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I look at the team that went to the conference finals. It seemed like there's only like two guys that could handle the ball. <laughs> it's, it's, but I think, uh, I guess if the shooting works out you know and he ends up developing to a reliable shooter then i could see him being like this connector but i think at number seven i'm swinging for the fences for a guy that i think could be a star mm-hmm. that's well, just let, my opinion let me ask you then though let's, let's just play on the assumption they're keeping that pick uh, i've been running with the idea that portland does not get nice things so these trade rumors that get thrown out there i assume they're not going to happen let's say they make the pick dame's cool with it hey make your best pick if they're asking you, you like to swing for the fences. I love the mentality. I don't care if you swing and miss, but like take a swing. Who is the swing for the fences prospect for you? You seem like you have an idea of who it is. And I don't want to assume it's Johnny Davis, but who would it be? Um, well, one, there's no guys from mid-majors. The Blazers have had their best luck selecting <laughs> guys that came from mid-majors. So that um, you know, that that's out the window. Um I think Usman Jang could be a swing for the fence. This guy, six ten, mm-hmm. can handle the ball. And the thing about him, like you know, uh, I don't know how how much you guys followed like the whole prospects during the season, mm-hmm. but he got off to a re- horrible start. Yeah. I mean, like twenty something percent from the floor, seventeen percent from three, something like that. And of course, I was down on him, 
But then as I kind of dug deeper and, and got a little context of why he struggled, it, it made total sense. So you look at a kid, he's 18 years old and he takes a job in Australia, but because of the COVID restrictions, he's there by himself, no family, no friends, and he's just out there having to adjust. And of course, as an American, the transition from US to Australia is probably be the easiest transition because there's no language barrier. But for him, he's thrown out there as an 18-year-old. So think about like you in college or or 18-year-olds you know. If you say, hey, move to Italy by yourself, I think they're going to struggle in the beginning. I mean, I, so, I did right. it. So right. uh, trust me, I, I, I did the same thing in the military. And it, it, I was a disaster. And I didn't have the freedom or the money or, or the the ability to yeah. do something I truly love uh, and, and, and have all the outside pressures. And that's... Yeah. I think I think the most recent example, probably that is uh, at least that I would call back to, is a guy like R.J. Hampton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know R.J. Yeah, he, uh, he struggled a ton when he when he first got out there. He was he's and he had like, his family with him. That's the yeah. thing. R.J. had his mom, his dad, and his brother with them. Mm-hmm. Lamelo had um, Jermaine Jackson, who's his trainer. So they both had mm-hmm. guys that they were comfortable with. So the only guy that I would say he knew was his teammate Hugo Besson, and their mm-hmm. connection was they were both French. And I, and I talked to Hugo, and Hugo told me that he didn't even speak English before he got to Australia. He had to learn English on the fly, and I and I had did like a whole sit down interview with him, and I apologized. I, I didn't know. I mean, his English is really good, but I said, man, if I would have known that, you know, this is new to you, I probably would have kind of, you know, uh, made my questions a little bit more basic. But he's like, no, he learned from. You know, he he was just kind of thrown out there like you're forced mm-hmm. to learn it, and mm-hmm. so. And he kind of struggled a little bit, but he's the one that brought it to my attention. And he's actually maybe two or three years young, older than than Jang. So, and then just talking to the to uh, Hugo's uh, agent, it's like, yeah, with the restrictions, they were there by themselves. So I still don't have to say this: the Jang that we saw at the end of the season, I think, is more reflective of his talent than the overall numbers because it took him a, a little bit of time to, to adjust to again, a different country. Mm-hmm. I've been to Australia. That time zone is crazy. Like I remember <laughs> going there. I would say I went for RJ Hampton and LaMelo. I went to their game and I remember like being there like Wednesday, but I was watching Tuesday night yes. NBA mm-hmm. basketball, Yeah, but it came on at like five o'clock. It was almost right. like regular time. Mm-hmm. So I had that in, I went to Vietnam a couple of years ago and it would be a Tuesday, 10 a.m. Vietnam. And I'd open my phone and Monday night football was going on. And I'm like, this is wild. that The, the time <laughs> difference is this big. Yeah. And it takes your body time to, yeah. to totally adjust to it. So I think that was part of his struggles. And so he would be a swing for the fences guy. Again, he's 6'10". Um, I think there's a combination of maybe Nick Batum and maybe Paul George. Mm. So if Which he can be... a hell of a player. Man. Yeah, yeah. If he can, to dream. And I mean, you know, like when Batum had his best years in Portland, that would be a guy that you would, you know, that, that would they, be They would kill valuable. to have that player right now. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a multifaceted dribble pass shoot defend multi-positional guy who solves basically all their problems and uh, it's even more valuable today than it was back then in my opinion Mm -hmm. i i I, as much as um so much of a premium the nba is placing on shooting these days i think it's significantly easier to find a guy who can shoot than it is to find a guy who's a creator i think a a true creator a connector a primary initiator like yeah 
true playmaking is is the yep. most valuable thing to have in the NBA right now. If you look at the, the NBA Finals right now, the reason the Celtics figured it out is because Jason Tatum figured out how to be a true playmaker. And yeah, that's yeah. And, and Marcus Smart working as a connector and Al Horford working as a, as a as a primary ball mover. And I think that's what elevated that team. And Portland just hasn't had that. Nurk is as good as he is as, as far as a playmaker. He helps relieve uh, a lot of pressure, but he's not. It's not Jokic. It's not, to be honest, it's not Embiid. You know, and that's they need that guy in between. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Jane because um, speaking of names that are kind of all over the place, and we, we've spent so much time talking about the, the big three and the big four at the top. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. But another guy who I, I thought um, came out of the combine well that's not nearly as discussed, but in that same um, vein as far as swinging for the fences, but probably a lot more raw. I wanted to get your thoughts on Leonard Miller. Another guy with size and versatility who, uh, through reclassification, is now uh, available for this draft. Um, when you look at him, number one, where do you see a guy like that fitting into the NBA as, as, as a development prospect? And, and number two, do you see him as a lottery guy or do you see him as a guy that a team is hoping to sit on for a late first, early second round pick? Well, honestly, at the combine, and I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing a kid, he looked like a deer... Mm. with the headlights he was so lost i don't know if you guys had a chance to like watch the games Mm -hmm. and it was such a a huge jump for him because he's going from i mean is he even mentioned as a nba prospect prior to hoop summit i mean i think he was a prospect but as somebody that could be in his draft prior to hoop summit yeah then he has a good showing at hoop summit and now he's thrown into like the wolves with these guys that are older than him that are competing for NBA jobs. I mean, he just looked lost in the terminology. He looked lost in the spacing. Like, if you didn't know anything, you just was watching guys and you didn't know the names or numbers, you could say, all right, he's clearly the youngest guy mm-hmm. out here. So he did have a couple of moments, but it'll be interesting t- to see, like, if, if a team's just kind of disregard everything they saw at the combine and, you know... Swing for the potential. Swing for the fences, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think take a guy like Leonard Miller. I think it's a a team with multiple picks mm-hmm. and a general manager that has really good job security, <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which I think is important because, mm-hmm. you know, like I I had posed a question on Twitter. Like, if you're a general manager, would you take? And you're in the last year of your contract. Do you take the player with the best upside or the mm-hmm. guy that is ready to help you win now? that can help you get your contract extended, which benefits your family. So you don't have to move. And I think that, you know, a guy like Sam Presti has plenty of um, security, you know, a stone in Houston, (laughs) those guys can swing for the fences on a Leonard Miller or, you know, someone like that. Um, There's some other GMs. I can't think anybody off the top of my head. They may not have the luxury of being able to wait for him to Mm -hmm. develop if he's a few years away. But he also has a small sample size, too. And so, you know, it's kind of put you in a tough situation. But I think, like, I think Minnesota has multiple second-round picks. I think, um, you know, Thunder have a ridiculous amount of picks, and they're all about collecting assets. So, on one hand, if he doesn't get drafted, that wouldn't surprise me. On the other hand, if he does with a team like San Antonio has three first-round picks, you know, and I think they have some in the second round, then it, it can make sense for him to go there. Let's put your blazer hat on then. Let's take the draft hat off. Let's put the blazer hat on. What do you just make of their situation? 
Like it, it appears that they're going to get Damon extension. He seems still all in committed, wants to be in Portland despite what last summer was. This balance of win, get back to the playoffs versus you're still kind of building out and you're maybe trying to help yourself in the future. Your two cents just in where they're currently positioned and, and what you make of of decisions that they got to make. Do they swing and get rid of seven? Do you keep seven for a young asset that could develop? And, you know, Dane becomes Chris Paul in a certain respect with a younger group the way Phoenix is? Or what do you, what do you just make of where Portland is right now? They're in a weird, weird position. Because I think if it's not Portland and it's not Dame showing loyalty, a guy like Danny Ainge would have been like, we're, we're moving this asset right now mm-hmm. while he has value, and then we'll just – you know, we we'll just go into a total rebuild. But, you know, in a situation with Portland, you have Dame who wants to be there, who's very vocal about being loyal. And I think with a new decision maker there, you don't want to be the guy that moves Dame, even if it does make sense. Right. So you have to swing for the fences and just kind of build around what, what he wants to do in a sense. And so that's why I don't know if they're going to keep the pick. And if they do keep the pick, I think the guy that, and he may not be available, he could be, that probably would be the most ready to contribute right away towards winning would be someone like Keegan Murray, just Mm -hmm. because he's a little bit older. I think there's a safeness to him. Mm. And, uh, you know, I mean, he can play the four. He shot 39% from three, which, you know, weird thing about Keegan Murray is you don't think of him as being like this great athlete. Mm-hmm. But the majority of his points, and he averaged like 23 a game, the majority of his points this season came in transition. So even though the Blazers aren't a team that play at like this ridiculously fast pace, but I think he can come in and help. But that means you have to find someone after three. You have to find, you know, your your third score if, if you feel like Simons is your, your number two option. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so yeah, I think he would be the one that could come in and contribute. Maybe A.J. Griffin. Mm-hmm. With the shooting, yeah, at, at the minimum, yeah. he can shoot. I've had Benedict Matherin as someone that I thought would be a good fit for the Blazers, but I end up doing like this deep dive into his numbers, and the like he shot thirty six percent from three this year. It's thirty eight percent from three over two years, two hundred fifty six mm-hmm. attempts. But when I like really took a dive into his numbers, he struggled shooting in the half court. It's yeah. only like thirty three percent on jump shots, like twenty six percent on catch and shoot open catch and shoot or unguarded catch and shoot jumpers and you know portland doesn't play fast so if he's not knocking down like wide open jumpers if he's not super consistent then that could be an issue there even though he he also has a reputation as a three and d guy i don't know if he's deserving of the d label i mean he has all the tools to be Mm -hmm. the three and d guy so on one hand i think he makes sense but on the other hand um, is he ready to contribute right away? Because the Blazers are, I feel like they're on a, a thin timeline in a sense. When you look at this draft, like assessing value, one of the things that I've seen a ton is from people who don't want to trade the pick or who don't want to necessarily use the pick at seven, there's the um, trade him for a, an NBA-ready player like an OG or a DeAndre or something along those lines. But also there's the group that says, Seven isn't getting you good enough assets in return. However, if you use that pick and trade back to Charlotte and pick up a PJ Washington and what is it, twelve or thirteen, or to 13, San Antonio, yeah. yeah, thirteen, fifteen. So you've got, or or to San Antonio for nine and twenty. 
when you're looking at that value scale, do you do you see a world where that makes sense for Portland because they did lose out on that protected pick from New Orleans that would have been the number eight overall pick, you know, had, had things gone their way, and they would have been dealing with multiple lottery picks? Because in my mind, I, I get it because the the cupboard is bare. But again, they're they're walking this difficult timeline of trying to do both, which is getting the roster mm-hmm. reset around Damian Lillard, but also looking forward to the next generation with Anthony Simons, which is why you see 23- and 24-year-old guys like Aiden and, and, and Anobi being mentioned. But there's also the, the other part of this where if you do trade back, let's say you do get 9-20, and 20, there's a world that exists where maybe you go for an Eason or maybe you go for a Sohan or a Mark mm-hmm. Williams. So one of the bigs falls out of the, the lottery and there's another guy available at 20 and now you get the two for one and you, you get more depth, even if it's not quite as ready as you want it to be. When you're looking at a value scale, does it make sense for a team like Portland? And you, you can't look at it in a vacuum. And that's, I think, what yeah. makes it so difficult. Does it make sense for a team specifically like, like Portland to look at an option like that and trading back and getting multiple players on, on rookie scale deals yeah I, I think so um i mean i would swing for i'd see i check the temperature on bradley bill mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know how they'd be able to <laughs> make it work and maybe i've seen the rumors about zach levine mm-hmm. which i think it may have some legs because he is from the pacific northwest yeah and he's like a you know he's a real seattle guy and he, he lives in seattle in the off season so I, w- I would see if but then again you know if it's like if he Maybe if he doesn't feel comfortable being the number two next to DeRozan, would he feel comfortable with number two next to Dame, even though I think Dame is a better player? And I think it's probably a – on one hand, I say it's a better fit, but then we just seen Boston go to the finals with two wings also. <laughs> um, and then after that, I mean, of course, Knicks fans, they want Julius Randle for number seven. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think that, you know, if the Knicks are really off of Randle, then you can kind of get – you can probably get him – at, at a discounted deal since yeah. they already have someone in topping that they that they clearly probably want to go with even though they're all represented by caa which represents everyone everyone <laughs> from the coach <laughs> to all that uh yeah i mean charlotte could make sense because i think charlotte may want to move up to get a center mm-hmm. and, and one, uh, one of duran or or williams yeah i mean i think if if they really want duran then then they probably have to have to move up um, but I think Williams could be available. Um, I mean, I think at the minimum, one of them goes to San Antonio, mm-hmm. and then one one could be available. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different options, and I'm, I'm sure there's some that we probably haven't even haven't even talked about. It just depends on like. It just depends on. I mean, it, it's it's tough to say because we don't really know this new front office. You know, I think yeah. before we kind of would have a little bit of an idea of the style of, of player, but. Um, I, but to answer your question, it was a long answer. I think it does make sense to explore that option. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me just ask both you guys this. Let me just throw it out there to you. Uh, one, I, I, the Levine thing is interesting. Um, are we operating on the assumption that they're trading Ant? Because do, are we cool with like a Dame, Ant, Levine, you know, three-headed monster in the starting lineup? It's not a great amount of size, not a great amount of defense. And then two... I find it interesting. I don't necessarily disagree with it, but just get your guys' thoughts on this timeline thing, right? Because I think a lot of us have been operating under the assumption they're going to trade the pick, look to trade the pick, because it's all about win now. Isn't the timeline and the urgency, isn't that, that's driven just by Dame, right? Otherwise, like, Mm -hmm. if you're Cronin, 
aren't you operating more in, 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 in what you guys are saying of like, how can we get young, manageable, developed assets that make sense for our future, for our salary cap situation, so you can build out depth. If there wasn't an urgency, I think, placed by your franchise guy, mm-hmm. you'd probably go into the assumption in this draft that you have a three-year to a four-year timeline. And I know he's getting up there in the age ladder there, but like all of this is just created by Dame, in a sense, right? The, to the urgency, the timeline, hey, we need to trade it, we need to win now. Whereas like, I just don't, I don't personally see, outside of OG and DeAndre, um, and even Brad Beal, like I like Brad Beal, but I, again, I don't know how that works with Ant Dame. Like, it's an interesting little uh, three-way player thing, but I, I just don't view this, I guess, the same way because I don't think they're going to be a title contender nor close to it, no matter what they do this offseason. So I'm, I'm kind, I view it more through the prism of you got three years here. How much can you build up in the next three years? Yeah, and if that's the case, then I guess you offer Max to Aiton. I guess you'd have to release Hart, right? Josh Hart, you'd have to renounce his rights or something like that. Yeah, unless unless if they went after Aiton, I think it'd be in a signing trade where yeah. Nurkic would be involved, and then you don't have to juxtapose a, a bunch of different assets or renounce a bunch of rights mm-hmm. uh, to guys. Yeah, so if if that's the case, it does make sense to go Aiton and keep the pick. Now you have, you know, your your young center. You have. You know, I mean, the number seven pick, whoever it is, someone that's young, and then you have Ant Simon, so you still have a combination of young guys to build towards. But like you said, I mean, it's all driven by by Dame, and that's why I think it's more difficult in Portland because it is the smaller market with the superstar that actually wants to be there. He's one of the few. If you think about it, like every almost every All Star in a sense has moved to L.A. or New York in some form or fashion. Mm. And he wants to be there. And, I mean, there are opportunities where they could have. I mean, he, he has the power if he would have said, hey, I want to go to Philly and play with Embiid and try to win a championship. He, I mean, he could have done He could have forced that leverage. But he wants to be there. Yeah. By him wanting to be there, it, it puts tremendous pressure on the GM to keep him there. Like I said, if it was Danny Ainge who just, you know, the joke saying Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge would trade his mom. If it was Danny Ainge, yeah. I think Dane would have been gone. Yeah. I think this summer, uh, Danny H's mom is Rudy Gobert. I think that's, I think that's the <laughs> assumption everybody's operating but under don't, right now. But don't you guys think that's – I mean, it, it sounds like I'm kind of criticizing Dame in a way, and I, I don't mean it to sound that way. I, I guess find it interesting that this dude has to operate either all in on drafting a young player that, again, to your point, could hit, and it could be one of those weird drafts where guys fall farther down and they end up being the better player versus like, hey, you got to trade this pick because we got to win now. But it's like – Dame, if you're fully committed, you're 100% in, we're not winning a championship next year. We're probably not close to it in two years. you gotta, you got to build this out in a way of like three, four years, do you not? Like I just – I don't know. I kind of find that position um, maybe a little more difficult for Joe because it is his first go-around in the draft and being in the situation. Yeah, he's definitely in a difficult situation because even at the end of the day, he could change his mind. And say, you know what? This isn't working. Yeah. Now I want out. Yeah. LeBron now, drafting Shabazz Napier. Yeah. Go yeah. Dry. I love Shabazz Napier. <laughs> what? <Yeah>. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, he. He definitely has a a, you know, a difficult decision ahead of him. But it it just seems like. And I and I hope it doesn't happen in a sense. But it seems like you're gonna end up moving the number seven pick and not getting an all star in return. You're going to get a very good player that's really 
a third or fourth option on a really mm. good team, but you're going to end up kind of maybe, you know, moving a guy that should be a, a third or fourth option to your number two option in a sense. Mm. And so, you know, I mean, I like Jeremy Grant. Um, I think he's valuable, but he like looked his best in Detroit where he was the man there. Is that going to get you a top four seed? I don't know. That's always the question. I, I think that for me, if I'm in the camp of if a if a, an Aiden or a an OG and an OB can be had for that pick plus whatever additional capital that makes sense, and you're able to turn the number seven some younger assets like a Keon Johnson, Eric Bledsoe's expiring contract, and the 2025 first round pick. Let's say that all of that together, if you're able to turn that into OG and an OB and Jeremy Grant, and you have a lineup that's Dame, Ant, OG, Grant, Nurkic. You're you're in the mix. You're not a title contender, but you're in the mix. You you take your additional money and you re-sign a, a Joe Ingles and turn him into a trade chip at the deadline. And if you wanted to get really spicy, you could take the protections off the pick that's owed to Chicago, and you could use some additional picks on draft night to uh, to to maybe move for 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 another player to to get some more depth or or to again to move again at the trade deadline. And I'm I'm in that. Um, that group of like I think that's walking both fences of for the now when you add an older guy like Jeremy Grant but also a guy like OG Ananobi where I think that's for that next group and if you look at how things kind of string out I don't know if if I if I truly believe in enough at somebody at number seven to pick there but I've also heard that there that there are teams in the top of the lottery that are interested in moving back that if The smoke screens are there right now that Orlando does want Chet as opposed to Jabari, that OKC at two would move back. And I've heard Sacramento interested in moving up to number two to make sure they secure Ivy because they think Ivy might be going at three. Um, you're, you're, you're a Palo guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let, let's say the draft falls to, you know, it goes Chet. Let's say Sacramento moves up to, to number two, and they, they go Ivy at, at two. So you've got Chet, Ivy, and you've got Jabari and Paolo there at three or four. And you you don't know which one's going to go three. Would you, would you put basically everything on the table as far as that asset pool to move up from seven to three? Or would you try to hold back a little bit and move up from seven to four? I mean, I, I want Ben Carroll. <laughs> so I, yes. I like him. That, that, I, that, I, that I, dividing I, line is big enough for you? Yeah, but okay. I think that if Sacramento, I think Ivy can fall to them at four. I, think I, I if do there too. Is a trade that means the Thunder want Ivy, and they want to collect another asset God. to move to move another down asset. another so asset. Sacramento. Yes, yeah, so I think if that was the, if if it worked out, OKC is like, well, if we want Ivy, which I don't even know how it fits. They have too many guards anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's like if they want him. They can move down, get the fourth pick and whatever pick next year, get the guy that they want, and then Sacramento will move up and get, you know, whoever they like. But then it would just give the Thunder another asset. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm just thinking. I mean, I, I thought I heard Houston say that they would be possibly open to to moving it. I mean, I've heard basically every team save Orlando is open to moving back in this draft. Yeah. Um, but I, I like Simons. I think you have to keep Simons. I wouldn't yeah. move him in any any deal. Um, My guy. 
I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure what 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 Portland could offer to move up, unless one of the teams really likes AJ Griffin. Or, you know, maybe a team likes Shaden Sharp, and they feel like he is going to be available, and you know, at yeah. whatever they pick, and they want to swap it out with, with Portland and get another pick in return. But I do like Ben Carroll a lot. I think that he is a a guy that wasn't fully used correctly at Duke. Simply because he's a he's more of a playmaker than we've been able to see. He's mm-hmm. a really good passer, played a lot of point forward, a point center prior to going to Duke. And then Duke had, you know, multiple ball handlers. And then I just think he's a weapon. And and this is just my opinion, but I feel like Bancaro is this year's version of Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum oh. was very good at Duke, but for what I mean, Markel Fultz was awesome. Don't don't get me wrong. Yeah. Markel Fultz was awesome. I never thought that Lonzo Ball should have been drafted over Jason Tatum mm-hmm. in the 2017 draft. There was talks that Josh Jackson was going to go ahead of Jason Tatum. I think mm-hmm. Jackson ended up going like fourth. Mm-hmm. And I think Ben Carroll could be like Tatum. And my, my uh, comparison for Ben Carroll is my years could be wrong, but 2018, 19, Blake Griffin. Remember when the year mm-hmm. he was in Detroit? I think he made all NBA. Turned like into a playmaker. 10, yeah. 5, I think Van Carroll could be that guy. And oh. I would love to see Dame with, you know, a, a pick-and-roll partner that can get the ball in the middle of the floor and make a play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know Nurt can a little bit, but that was my issue with the, the team that went to the conference finals. And then even the, the year they lost to, to the Pelicans, I know that was a bad year. Yeah. But it's like <laughs> – No release if, valve. If Yeah, no release valve at all. And I think that the Blazers need someone that can, I mean, every team needs it, but a guy that can shoot, that can attack a closeout, and make a play for others. And I think Van Carroll is that guy. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. I'm all in. I think we talked about that before, Danny, and I, I, I love the idea of having him. He's 6'10". I think he can grow. Um, it's a bit of like we go back to the Ben Simmons conversations when yeah. he was available. That was the aspect, right? It's not Simmons shooting. It's the playmaking. It's the ability to turn around and hit open guys. I think I think Paolo has that. Do you think they have to get in the top three to have a shot at him? Like, I'm just, I'm kind of, it's hard for me to gauge how people are feeling about him because there's so much talk about Chet. There's so much talk about Jabari. You know, you're seeing some of these other guys that The were, least amount of noise is around Paolo right now. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about Paolo yeah. and not good, not bad. So I'm just curious, like, how high do you think Portland would have to theoretically get in the draft to to have a good shot? Are we talking, hey, Houston, what's going on? Yeah, I think three. It's weird because he outplayed Chet. When they went heads up, mm-hmm. there's no way you left that game feeling like, okay, Chet is the better player. And then Chet kind of made his rise in conference play. Playing which, San Diego and Portland. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, good job. <laughs> and so I think I think Chet is Marcus Camby with a jump shot. That's which I think he is. Is a very it's good, good career. Yeah. Yeah, long career. But – it's, it's very it's nice kinda... of you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think Marcus Camby was the second pick behind Allen Iverson in 96. No. Played yeah. forever. Played like He's a great eight, player. Eight, 18 years. Got got his name chanted in, in the Rose Garden. Yes, he did. Yeah. And, I mean, offered rebounding, shot blocking. And uh, I just think that that's who Chet is. Chet's never a guy to me. I don't think he's a guy that you're going to say, hey, five seconds left on a shot clock. We need a bucket. Go get one. Mm-hmm. Right. I think – Ben Carroll is that guy. I think even with Jabari Smith, if you want to get a bucket, you have to run a play for him to get open. 
while I think Bancaro, you can say, hey, clear it out. Go go get us one. He's either going to draw a foul, um, score, or, or make a play. And I think he'll look better with NBA spacing. So mm. I'm very, very high on him. That was my dream, dream scenario for Portland. Retweet. And if, if I'm Joe... I'm I'm reaching out to Houston. Hey, what what, what do you want? <laughs> what does it take? Yeah, give you seven. You, know, you want next year's pick two, or I mean, do they have um, a, a, do they have extra lottery pick or from another trade? Or no, they've picked from the they the, that... the Bucks pick is 2025, 25, and, and it's yeah. top four protected. So okay. uh, it, then they're you know, gonna be good. Yeah, they're gonna be good. <laughs> uh, and obviously, next year's pick is over to the Chicago Bulls. So um, oh, okay. Now, they, they could free some stuff up down the road, again, by pulling the protections away from that pick. But they do have some second-rounders, and obviously, what is it, 30, 36 or 37 30, this year? 36, yeah. Um, that they can, they can do some work with. Um, but I think that that's a pretty hefty tax you're going to have to pay to move up from yep. 7 to 3. I think 7 to 4 gets a lot easier, but, you know, the chance of one of those guys being there obviously is a lot lot less but well, i'd have something in place just in case ivy yeah. goes three yeah that's what i'm like, saying hey, if all of a sudden <laughs> and that's yeah. that's the interesting part of all this right and it, i mean you've been doing this for a while now and you can have your board and no board ever goes chalk yeah. no, no board ever goes chalk and i think the one that, that to me um as far as it relates to portland was most surprising was cam johnson when the Suns took him because the Blazers had Cam Johnson as their pick at, at was it 23 or 24 the year yeah. they, they took Nasir Little and he he was their guy and um they had to scramble because it was like well we got 13 14 more picks but we gotta figure out who it is because all of the shooters went off the board and just kept going and going and going uh Nasir Little ultimately felt them and they were thrilled about it because they gave him a lottery grade but you find yourself in a in a uh the idea of of going out there and and having you know a, a place to switch things up and figure some things out and I think that's a good place to be um, yeah. having all of those different uh, permutations you can have figure out I'm gonna put you on the spot here Rafael uh, okay. I'm ready do the Blazers use the pick at seven and if they do who's the guy that you think is 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 the one for them I think if they well I don't think they use it. If they do, I think the guy, and if his medical records, I mean, that's too many ifs already. If the medical <laughs> records check out, oh, then it, it is <laughs> AJ Griffin. Yeah. Okay. The medical rec- He's 18 right. years old. So I think if you keep it, you, you go high upside. I mean, this was a guy that was compared to Jimmy Butler before, mm-hmm. and uh, he can shoot. So that is your safety valve. And um, he. I mean, not great size on the wing, but it's it's some size there. And then I've, even though it's a new front office, but I've felt like, you know, whatever knocks you had against the last front office, I thought the Blazers did a good job of developing talent from Gary Trent to Simons. They got really They're good fantastic picks. in the back of the first round and in the second round. I don't think there's yeah. many teams that were better. Right. And if you can put that same development process to a top seven pick, then you might have something there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, Zach Collins was, was injured a lot. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and when he did play, he did show some promise, but if, if the Blazers can have the same success that they had with Gary Trent and Simons, and you apply that to a top 10 pick, then I, I think there could be something really special there. It's just a matter of how long is it, is it going to take? If it takes 
two years, then that puts Damon with 34 at the start mm-hmm. of the season. Yeah. His Chris Paul uh, timeline is starting at that point in time. I mean, it, it's already, I think it's already underway, is it not? I mean, he's staying in Portland this year. He's going to get a year older. He's going to put more miles on his body. Like, it's, it's kind of already underway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Luckily, his game isn't relying on athleticism. Yeah. And, and so I think that's very, very helpful. He'll um, age gracefully. I, th- I think so. Yeah, I think so. For the like most that. part, he's been healthy. I mean, whatever injuries he's had haven't been like lower lower body injuries. No. So. Let me ask you this. Uh, for uh, people that have been wondering, because we talked about this on a pod, uh, you know, we offered our two cents. You're in the draft analyst game. Uh, what did you make of them hiring Mike Schmitz? What, what, what are we to make of that from somebody who's also observing the draft, covering the draft, dialed into prospects, doing write-ups? Like, what did you think of the Blazers making that move? I liked it. I, I'm happy for Mike. I think Mike is a great guy, even though, you know, we're kind of in the same field. And of course, at least for me, I mean, Mike's probably not worried about me. At least for me, there was like this inner competition. Always. Like, yes. You know, I want to I want to be the best. Yeah. So I've, I've met Mike. I actually saw him out in Paris and he I mean, just he knew who I was. I was kind of shocked. He had been following what I did. And so I like the non-traditional hire. Mm-hmm. I mean, have they hired like four assistant GMs? <laughs> yeah, they, they they replaced all three. That's the thing is they had uh, Bill Branch, uh, Steve Rosenberry, and, and Joe Cronin yep. under Neil Olshay, and then they Cronin obviously got moved up, and the other two were were, were removed uh, or let go. And they I think they went out outside the box with a couple of these hires, obviously with, yeah. with Schmitz, with Andre Patterson, and uh-huh, and yep. now with uh, Sergio Oliva. Yeah, so. so I like that. I think it's it's great. I mean, even like for for me personally, because it shows that you can get a front office NBA job, a high ranking job, not just mm-hmm. a job as a regional scout. You can get a high ranking job taking a non traditional path and doing what you love. Mm-hmm. And Mike maximized everything at ESPN, he maximized his relationships. He just did so much, and it gives guys like myself hope. And, you know, some 15-year-old kid that has started a blog or whatever that wants to cover the draft, he can look at Mike and say, all right, this can happen. As far as from the team perspective, Mike has relationships all over the world. Mm -hmm. He has intel with, you know, kids in high school. I think he does have – I think the intel is key. So he may know, like, all right, there's a kid that's, I don't know, born in 2005 in Europe. He may say, hey, this is a guy that, you know, we should keep our eye on, even though it's it's, it's a ways down the road. But he does have that that type of uh, intel and background, and he, and he works hard. And he's someone that I think people are going to like, period. So I mm-hmm. think he's also a guy that you can throw in a free agency meeting, and he has the personality to where, I mean, I, I think it could be beneficial. So I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm happy for Mike personally and I'm, I'm glad that it was my team that that, that gave him a shot <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll, we'll get you out of here on this uh what are you working on right now what do you got coming up Any, what what, what pl- please plug away uh so everybody knows what, where they can find you and what where, uh, what you have coming out uh soon all right yeah thanks again for having me on oh, anytime, I, I, I we really appreciate, appreciate this it. um like i said it's also a little bit more special because it is <laughs> it is my team i got a cool story real quick i oh, go Rasheed Wallace and Bonzi Wells two weeks ago. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. man. Obviously, so, Sheed is uh, coaching down there. Yeah, so I had, 
you know, I, I read that he had left Memphis, the staff. Mm-hmm. And then so when I walked into the to the gym, I was shocked to see him there. So it was him, Penny and uh, Bonzi Wells. They were working out Mike Foster, who mm-hmm. I think could be a target for the Blazers at, at 36. I was just saying the second round guy. Yep. Yep. And so, um, uh, you know, Rasheed was like my favorite player. Like I wore high top Air Force Ones. <laughs> I have like Rasheed Wallace jerseys. My two all time favorite players are Rasheed Wallace and Zach Randolph. Okay. Zebo, yes. So uh, another Memphis connection. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So it it was weird that you know. So when I meet Sheed, and I I didn't realize he was a germaphobe, and so when I met him, you know, I shook his hand. We shake hands, and he pulls out the sanitizer Uh and sprays his hand. I mean, so it's like, it's like, okay. (laughs) I hope I didn't offend, you know, uh, (laughs) offend him. And uh, you know, like he's not a guy that does a lot of media, right? No. So. he was working out Mike and Mike had, you know, a good year in the G League, but for whatever reasons, he's not getting the same type of love. And and, you know, Rashid is a Carolina guy. So, of course, when I say, hey, you know, Mike was one of the top high school players. Why is he falling off? Rashid was like, well, you know, his numbers are comparable to Palo. So I thought that was cool that <laughs> there's still this. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a knock at Ben Carroll, but it's kind of like, you know, the Carolina the rivalries yeah. there. Yeah, it, it never goes down. Yeah. And uh, but he sat down and did an interview with me, just sat down and we kind of shot the breeze, started asking him questions about Mike, of course. And then, of course, the Blazers fan in me wanted to ask him different questions. And and I I had kind of teased him saying that I think he kind of ushered in this stretch for, mm-hmm. you know, even though I wouldn't say he was the first. But he told me, he said, no, Cliff Robinson was the mm-hmm. first. Uncle Spliffy. And, and, and he told me that. Uh, Cliff told him, I guess he said it was a game where he was guarding Shaq and he said he had his, you know, his ice everywhere, knees <laughs> all banged up. And he said, Cliff told him, you can't guard this guy. You're in the same conference. You need to, you know, if you want to extend your career, go out and, and, and shoot the three ball. So um, that was cool for me. That was cool. And then just kind of how it applies to, to the draft in a sense, because Jabari Smith is probably going to go number one. And, you know, before she or even before Cliff Robinson, we didn't see guys that were 6'10 that were that were shooters. Yeah. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And then with Bonzi, uh, you know, he's he's a coach at a small school in Memphis, but he's also doing some skills training. And so I, the question that I, when I saw him training, I said, do you feel more comfortable training in the post or guards? And mm-hmm. he kind of laughed because, you know, Bonzi. I felt like he did most of his He'd be big body work that mid block, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, so um so that was that was cool for me and just to kind of talk NBA draft a little bit with those guys and and uh I had mentioned it on 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 the Lockdown Blazers show. They didn't give me all the details, but they said this this documentary, this Jail Blazers documentary. The HBO one, yeah. They've been working on that for a while. He yep. said it's in the works and it should be it, it you know, they it's it, it's close. So yeah. that that was pretty cool for me. But anyway, uh, you can find me at NBABigBoard.com. That is the, the newsletter that I took over for a chat for. Mm-hmm. So thankful for that opportunity. And then I have the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, which is about four days a week, four or five days a week where I'm talking draft. And um, you can find me on Twitter at Barlow, B-A-R-L-O-W-E-5-0-0. Well, hey, thanks again for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, we'll probably bring you back on if they use the pick. That way we can get some, some further intel. Uh, about Paolo, I, baby. Yeah, exactly. Man, I, 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 I want that to happen. I know. Me too. Me <laughs> Listen, too. If, for me, if they're going to use the pick, I hope they, they try to move up. I hope they try to take the biggest swing possible. Yep. I think that's that's the way to go about this. If you're, if you're going to go young, go hard. 
And I, yeah. I think that's that's the thing that makes the most sense for me. Um, one of the things that I think is going to be interesting is you brought up Fosters. I, I, I ultimately think they're going to come out of this draft with one guy. I think they're going to try and, and package up some additional either, either their their other second round pick or another second round pick and try to move up either into the back of the first round or closer to the back of the first round uh, with their second round pick because they're obviously at 36 right now. So uh, to see Drew if they Timmy. Can, yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I live in Dallas. I've been watching Drew since he was in high school. <laughs> And he made five out of his eight threes at the combine. And, I'm just and saying, he was talking I'm, a whole heap of trash to them hard too. Oh, I think, I'm telling you, I think that I think that dude's gonna have a longer career than people think. Man, he's a smart dude. He's got good footwork. He's not the most athletic cat, but like I just think I think he's gonna find a, a place in the NBA. I really do. There's yeah, always a I've place been, for somebody like I, that. I've been telling people. So you know, if you put him in a workout, you know he's not gonna wow you because he's not gonna be jumping out the gym. He's not yep. gonna make. 10 threes in a row, but you put some butts in the seats, <laughs> nine other guys on the floor, and yep. he's going to come out as one of the best players on the floor. And I thought he showed it at the combine. He's an acquired taste, but, sure. you know, for – I would love to see him in Portland also. I mean, I think there's, you know, obviously some ties to that to that uh, part of the country, mm-hmm. but I think he can be productive. Well, we'll get you out of here on that, man. We really appreciate you again. You can find him at Barlow 500, uh, the NBA Big Board newsletter and a locked on NBA pause. Rafael Barlow, appreciate you, man. Uh, you can find us on social media at Danny Morang, at Brandon Sprague, at Jack Ramsey. You can email the show, jackedramsey's at gmail.com. If you liked what you got, what you had, or what you saw, or what you heard here, like, rate, review. Help us grow the show. Uh, if you want to do us a solid, go on Apple Podcasts, review the show. Um, if you love us, great. If you hate us, great. As long as you listen, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you all. We love you. We'll catch you, uh, I believe, on Sunday for our, our first mailbag in a while because uh, we've had some guests in the, in the meantime. But, again, thank you all for being here. We appreciate you. We'll catch you next time. Talk to you all soon.